morning. It's good to see each of you again this morning, and uh, many thanks and praise to the Father for our worship team who has ushered us into his presence this morning, and uh, it is a good, good day to be in the house of the Lord. I want to pray with you, and then uh, jump right into our text this morning. Abba, we thank you this morning for your incredible grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your pursuit of us who are sinners when we did not pursue you. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you that you are full of grace and truth. Thank you for coming to earth to die for our sins, to give us not only forgiveness of sins, but life abundantly. And you have called us joint heirs. And for that, we praise your name this morning. I pray... Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place as you already are with your power. Um, I pray that you would burn the truth of your word into our hearts. We love you, we adore you, and we worship you today. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Take your Bibles, if you have them this morning, and turn, if you will, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, a very... Uh, familiar passage and I did not coordinate this morning with your worship team but could not could not could not have ushered us into his presence more effectively and what we've done this morning is what I pray we will see in the text Uh, Jesus has been glorified and uh, John Piper once said uh, whether you agree with this or not and I think it's a valid statement that missions is not the end all of the church worship is that our desire to do missions our desire to make disciples is so that there will be true worshipers uh, in his body leave that in your hands so john chapter one uh want to read verses one through fourteen this is known as the prologue to john's gospel the gospel of john is kind of set apart from the other gospels in that it is in incredibly and highly theological and john 1 1 through 14 sets the tone for the rest of the book so i want to start in verse 1 in john chapter 1 in the beginning was the word and that is jesus and the word was with god and the word was god he was with god in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world... And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Very significant. He came to that which was his own. We read in Paul's epistles that everything is held together by him. He made it. He constructed it. He spoke it into existence and it was made for him. But his own did not receive him. Verse 12, incredibly significant. Yet to all who did receive him, and we have sung about that this morning, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become pals of God. He gave the right to become okay friends with God. No. In the text, 
He gave the right to become children of God, joint heirs with Jesus. And that's incredibly significant this morning. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14 is where I want to focus in on this morning. The Word became flesh. We will celebrate that at Christmas, the incarnation. He pitched himself. He pitched a tent here and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory as of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And this phrase is where I want to focus this morning. Full of grace and grace truth that's a phrase that we brush over so often when reading john's prologue that jesus full of grace and truth and i want to unpack that this morning lord willing jesus what we've just read in the text took on flesh like ours as we read in hebrews what he was tempted in every way yet without sin Tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. Now you may say, well, internet not present in the first century. True. Well, didn't have novels that we have today. Two for two. But the temptations were there, and we see that specifically in the Gospels as he was tempted in the desert. But what do we read? Yet without sin. I want to turn over to uh, Hebrews chapter 4, and you know this passage really well. We have sung that this morning, and that he will hold us fast. Look at this. John uh, chapter 4, verse 15. I hope this is encouraging. I'm not sure if you're Bible writers, as in writing in your margin. You may think that's just uh, sacrilege, so I don't want to you know, bust up your conviction there. But I would encourage you, if you're a highlighter, an underliner, a margin writer, you need to circle this, because some of you, we all need this today, but some of you specifically. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and he did not sin. This is not a negative. This is encouragement. What does that mean? He gets us. He's one of us. God Almighty, 100%. God in the flesh, humanity, 100%. And that's huge. That is huge. He gets us, yet without sin. So what is that? how does that play out in your everyday life? Rejection? Jesus intimately understands that. Sickness, Jesus intimately understands that. Betrayal, Jesus intimately understands that. And every one of us need to hear that. Two of the major heresies that have happened in church history have one been a lessening of his divinity, the other one being a lessening of his humanity. Don't do either one. That's dangerous. So what does that say to us? He ate got hungry, faced rejection, got tired, yet without sin. So when we sing, look at your worship program really quickly. I'm going to take you back to that song that we sang. I want to refer to this. 
he will hold me fast. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, so true. For my love is often cold. Goes for all of us. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Our best effort on our best day falls short. We need Him to hold us fast. So Jesus reflected God's glory. How? We see it in the text. Three things. One, He is the one and only Look at verse 14, the one and only Son of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory. The glory as the one and only Son. Secondly, He came from the Father. He came on the Father. That's how He reflected His glory. Jesus said to His disciples when they said, let us see the Father's glory. Now, Jesus never sinned. If it were me, I'd be incredibly sarcastic. Dudes. What have you been looking at for this past time? You've been looking at me. You've seen him. Thirdly, and there's one I'll focus in on. He reflected God's glory by being full of grace and truth. We are not full of grace and truth. We are not. Jesus is. And why are we not full of grace and truth? Because of our inherited sin nature. So what does it mean we're not full of grace and truth? We lean in our flesh one way or the other. And which way do we lean? Are we tough on sin and short of grace? Or do we hold in the church and individually, a permissive grace without coupling that in a spirit of truth. Permissive grace, in essence, without accountability. Let me give you an illustration. If I had an addiction in my life, and some of you have dealt with that, some of you have friends and relatives who have dealt with the ravages of addiction, and it's not something to take lightly at all. If I had addiction in my life, and those around me, my colleagues at Bryan, my family, even those of you who have gotten to know me over these past few weeks, said nothing, did not lovingly confront me on that, you would be enabling my condition, addiction. On the flip side of that coin, if the same people had nothing but a spirit of condemnation, nothing but get it right, son, then where's the grace? Where's the hope? Hope that's connecting this morning. That would what? Crush me. The first example, I would continue on in that with no check. The second example, my spirit would be crushed and there'd be no hope. So where do we find ourselves this morning erring on the side of? Let me give you some examples of how Jesus, especially from the book of John, that's what I want to focus in on since we're in John, 
of Jesus being the epitome, being the fullness of grace and truth. These are very familiar passages. Grace. John chapter 4. Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman at the well. He did not compromise truth, and he did not compromise grace. He confronted her with her sin, but what, what's the operative thing here? Samaria, and I have no map. Samaria, here, Israel here. So what would happen? Israelites hate, and I'm not going to get into the history, hated Samaritans so much that if they were making a beeline up to uh, north, they would go around Samaria to avoid it so they wouldn't be unclean. That would be like if you had a big beef with Rockwell, Rockwood, that you go to Harriman, hit the interstate, and then take the next exit, say Highway 68, and boom, you're in Spring City. Doesn't make much sense, but that's what they held to. So what did Jesus do? Not only talked to a Samaritan, but in that culture at that time, a woman. That was risky, and that was bold. But Jesus did it to what? Offer grace. Second example, John chapter 8. A woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus did not give her a pass. At the end, when he's, it's just him and her, go and sin no more. But he asked her, where are your accusers? Now, Jesus knew exactly where the accusers were. He said that for her benefit, to get her, oh. And I'm sure the proverbial light clicked, oh. They're not to be found. So Jesus could have said, have that, lady. Go ahead, do what you're doing. It's all right. No. Jesus is never permissive with sin. That's why he came and died for us because of our sin, because of our sin nature to be made right with a holy and righteous God. Didn't give her a pass, but he didn't condemn her. Third example, probably the most significant, is his crucifixion and resurrection, which is the ultimate grace. None of us could do it. None of us could earn it. Jesus plus, we read um, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Jesus plus nothing, none of us could do it. Well, I've lived a great life at TVA, or I'm a shining example for Christ at Pellissippi, or in my, my business that I run with my family. Hey, I've got it made. No, we do not. Or I've been a professor for 17 years at Bryan College or in ministry for however long. That doesn't get it. We can't earn it. It's a free gift of His grace. John chapter 20. I don't know where Thomas got the term doubting. I think he's gotten a bad rap uh, all of these years. So we lambast him. I would have needed that evidence too. And he's, then he says, Jesus patiently showed him the wounds. Didn't lambast him, you stinking punk. Why would you ask me that? Come on. Have a little bit more faith, Bubba. What did he do? He simply showed him the wounds. Jesus didn't lash out at Thomas. He gave his evidence, which was an act of grace. John chapter 21. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. We read a couple of chapters earlier. What did Peter do? 
as predicted by Jesus, denied him. This bold apostle who said, with you to the end, Jesus. With you to the end. We're like this, with you to the end. No, Peter, you're going to deny me. No, and he denied him. Can you imagine the crushing blow to Peter? So what did Jesus do? <laughs> he called him in the first place. They're out fishing, which was their default, and they were pretty stinking good fishermen. Called him, hey, throw those nets over there. And Peter, the proverbial eyes were opened. It's the Lord. So he books you to the beach, and what does Jesus do? Pulls him aside and restores him. So let me ask you a quick question. Acts 1 and 2. Who preaches at Pentecost? A trained seminary professor? Nope. The denier. Why? Because Jesus had restored him. Side note, be very careful. I say this in the spirit of grace. Be very careful before saying someone is unfit for ministry. The word of God, we need to have standards. There are biblical standards for pastors, biblical standards for elders and deacons, which you know very well. As I look through the pages of Scripture, God, through Jesus, has been in the business of restoration. But my past, who has he chosen? To, what has he chosen to call his church? The what? Bride of Christ. Are we a clean bride? Are we a clean bride? And that's a trick question, not in of ourselves, because of Christ's work in making us a pure, white, dressed bride. Now, that's grace, right? That's grace. But Jesus is not just grace. Jesus is truth. And this isn't a slurpy, unaccountability-based truth. Jesus is truth. Why did he have to come to die? To satisfy God's holiness and his righteousness because God cannot look on sin. So what do we see regarding his truth? Same book, John chapter 2. Jesus what? Guys, you're selling stuff in the temple. Please, please go out if it's okay with you. Mmm, no. Drove them out in a fit of righteous rage. Because his father's house had become a place where they sold stuff. A.K.A. UT game, and you'll see t-shirts. Great victory, by the way. Wow. And you see great, you know, UT shirts and everything outside of the stadium and on the way to the stadium and all on the way down Kingston Pike and all of that. But he cleared out the temple. Secondly, John chapter 3. Jesus lovingly, but he corrected Nicodemus's wrong viewpoint. Wrong theological viewpoint about what it meant to be born again. And you know what? He still does that with us. It's not okay to say when you're talking to somebody about Jesus or at school or at work and wrong theology comes up, it's not okay to say as in a universalistic perspective or a postmodern perspective, just fervently believe something. That's okay. 
I don't want to speak out against that. That's all right. We all get to heaven through different means. No, we do not. John 14, 6. It's very, very specific in the language. I am, and the Hebrews would have gotten that reference, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's pretty exclusive, isn't it? He didn't give them a pass. And then in John chapter 8, which I quoted earlier, Jesus did not give, as is our tendency often, did not give the woman caught in adultery a pass. He said what? Don't do this anymore. As you are prayerfully, gracefully, and lovingly coming alongside a brother or sister, someone in the church, someone that you know deeply, and you are lovingly confronted on sin, don't enable that. Don't give a pass. We've got to speak out against that. Indeed. But we couple that with grace. With grace. Again, Jesus what? Confronted the Pharisees throughout the book of John. Went toe to toe. He wasn't scared of them. Oh, wow, Pharisees coming. Uh, let's me make a beeline elsewhere. No confounded their wisdom john chapter 21 you know the text it's we just saw what jesus's restoration of peter but then my father quoted this me this to me early on when i got in the comparison mode disciples walking by they look back you know peter another disciple they look back in the kingdom what about that guy oh Look over at John chapter 21. I've got to show this. Wow. This is, uh, this is great. Let's start in verse 20. They're walking along, talking about kingdom issues. In verse 20, if you haven't read this in a while. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. John. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Jesus, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, <laughs> as was Peter's custom, Lord, what about him? Another highlighter, underliner, put it up on a magnet on your fridge door. Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. That's a whole other sermon and teaching in and of itself. We get so caught up in the sin of others. We get so caught up about the inconsistency of others. And these are important things to deal with. That we miss the two by four speck reference that Jesus made. Get the two by four out of your eye. Then you deal with that speck. Hmm. Jesus was what? The perfect balance of grace and truth. If your car gets out of balance, your wheels get out of balance, you're not going to have a smooth ride. Some of you are like, oh, I just need a little bit more money to do that. Great, I get that because I'm in the boat. But your car is not riding. Alignment's off, balance is off, something's going on. You're going to have hard time. You're going to jiggle, jiggle when you stop. Something is going to pull. You know cars enough to know that. If we have a misbalance in extending grace or extending truth, things are off. We will either be what? 
given to legalism, given to judgmentalism without hope, or a permissive, that's okay, whatever comes, comes, you're full of grace. Paul said in Romans, well, there are some who say grace, so should I send more? And he says, I think we've lost the emphatic nature of that. Nope, absolutely not, don't do it. So grace and truth, Jesus was that balance. And we all need to hear this. And I ask you this morning to be sensitive to the Spirit, what He may be saying to you, what He may be pulling on your heart, and to examine which side we err on. As a church, as individual believers in the workplace, at school, middle school, high school, college, workplace, TVA, wherever you are, what side do we err on? Jesus was the perfect balance. A few thoughts of application. There is a time for each of us to extend godly grace and truth to each other and to receive it. There is a time, it happens daily, for each of us to extend godly grace and truth to each other and receive them as well. Uh, my partner in ministry at Bryan College, Dr. Scott Jones, I hired him on, I got there in 2002, the program was overwhelming, so I hired him on in 2007. More than once, as Scott Jones had to say to me, Drew, best friend in the world, get over yourself. It is not about you. Get over yourself. You're full of yourself. Stop. And I'm like, Scott, mm. thank you. Because none of us naturally receives truth well. None of us naturally does that well. It's got to be a work of the Spirit. But there are times you need to extend grace to a family member, a church member, a loved one, but not a permissive kind of grace. There's times where what? We have to, in grace and love, get in someone's face and say, the path you're heading down is going, it's not God-honoring, it is going to destroy you. It's going to level you. If I saw one of you walking out on the mighty Iroquois Avenue, which is so high traffic, just roll with me a second, and I was just like, I don't want to mess with their freedom. That's their life. The old uh, Billy Joel song years ago, I don't care what you say anymore, this is my life. Pity me, postmodernism. Leave me alone but I don't want to restrict their freedom, golly. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, one, yell profusely. Number two, I'm going to try to tackle you if I see a Mack truck coming on that road to prevent it from happening. Is that our attitude regarding sin? Grace and truth. Secondly, grace isn't cheap. Grace is not cheap. It wasn't cheap for King Jesus. It's not cheap for us and for some of us this morning it may take a sacrifice to extend grace to somebody, especially if you've been wronged. But what do we read in Paul's epistles? If you have a problem with somebody, you don't wait until they come and ask for forgiveness. You take the initiative. You extend it. Well, that's tough. You betcha. I can't do it. You betcha double. Only by the work of the Spirit. Grace is not cheap. It's not cheap for us. It wasn't cheap for Jesus. Thirdly, we extend grace and truth as followers of Jesus, watch this, in the context 
of relationships, not in isolation. We extend the grace and truth of King Jesus in the context of relationships. Can I share with you disciple-making, which involves evangelism? And this is how Jesus modeled it. It's best done in the context of developing a relationship with somebody. That's how we extend grace and truth. Not cold turkey, but as we get to know them, as we've invested in their lives. Do we need people who need grace and truth? Do we know them? Yes, the lost do, but believers do. Your salvation doesn't end when you make that profession of faith. It's ongoing. Is there somebody who needs grace and truth today? It's best done in the context of relationship. Well, that's hard work. Yes. That takes sacrifice. Yes. But that's how it's to be done. Fourthly, who has God called us to give a word of truth or extend grace to today that we're resisting? Who has God called us today to give a word of grace or truth to that we're saying, God, I, through clenched teeth, I knew what you did on the cross for me, King Jesus. But there is no way. Because X, Y, and Z. Because they abandoned me. Because they cheated on me. Because they ruined my reputation in the community. Because they this, this, this. And you know what? You got a legit case. But in light of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, that doesn't get it. Doesn't get it when I do it or when we do it. We're called to extend grace and truth. And there may be somebody in your family today that may be labeled the black sheep of the family. But you need to offer grace to, you need to offer truth to in the context of relationship. And you may be the only one, you may take heat from the fam on that. So be it. There may be a child in your life that has drifted this way, an older child, and you're like, what do I do? You offer grace and truth in the context of a relationship. And there may be some fences that need to be, bur need to be mended in Christ with that relationship before that extension of grace and truth can happen. That's important. So who's, who has he called us to? And hopefully the Lord at this point is pinpointing people that we need to do that with. That's what Jesus did, full of grace and truth. And he knew exactly how to do it. We have that example in Christ. And I hope we will. We've sung about that this morning in an incredible way in his presence for his glory. We've sung about Jesus holding us fast. Our Savior strong to save. Let me ask you a quick question. What makes the gospel good news? That Jesus Christ came to earth to die for sinners. You know what Paul said? I'm at the top of the list. He said, Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. And Paul said, and I'm the chief of them. And it wasn't his false humility. Because false humility is still pride. When I do it, when you do it. False humility is still pride. Do we have that spirit? Or do we have a spirit of judgmentalism? I'd never do that. I shared this before, week one or two. There's two, a student, two students did this. Put two little hand-drawn canvas things. I don't, I'm not art. Some of you uh, met someone who was really good at art earlier. Thank you. I am not. But two canvas things. I've got one over my light, 
switch, the other over a back wall. But for the grace of God, there go I. That's how you extend grace and truth. Doesn't mean you're passive with it. But do we admit that we're half a step from this? Half a step from that? Whoa, followed Jesus for years. Amen to that. He's calling us to extend grace and truth. And if we have a doubt about how to do it, look at the life of Jesus. It's really important. And I'm not discounting, as I said earlier, some of you got some serious grievances with folks. Some of you have some serious stuff that has crushed your life, has hurt you. I'm not denying that. We all have. But he bore the weight of mankind's sin on him. And he didn't jump down off the cross. Do you believe Jesus had the power and the authority to have jumped down off the cross? God Almighty in the flesh, you betcha. But he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. There's grace. So I pray for you, and I pray this for myself and my own family. If we struggle with one area or the other, that's not winsome gospel. What non-believer is going to be drawn to that? A total, a non-believer is not going to be drawn to a permissive, wussy grace. And a non-believer is not going to be drawn in Christ to a legalistic that it's just about rules. I believe it's going to be drawn to a follower of Christ who is striving in the Spirit to be full of grace and truth. And I hope that's us today. Okay? Let's pray. Abba, thank you for your word. We have sung about it. We've heard it. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be obedient to what you're calling us to do. And I pray specifically this morning, King Jesus, you've been pleased to be here. You have met with us in the power of your Spirit. I pray that even now you would bring encouragement where there's been brokenness, that you would bring truth where truth needs to happen, grace where grace needs to happen. If there's one person here, King Jesus, that does not know you as Lord and Savior, would you draw them today? Help us to celebrate you well and rightly, but help us to extend grace and truth to all of those around us. We adore you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.